Stand up, Nuggets Nation. It's now time for the Mile High Hoops Podcast with Zach By, Presented by Superbook Sports. On your home for the most Nuggets content. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Mile High Hoops Podcast presented by Superbook. As always, I am your host, Zach By, And as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the podcast. At the time of recording, it is Wednesday, June 15th, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I just signed off for my three-hour radio show. I just copped tickets to game one of the Stanley Cup final. I have like a flutter in my stomach that I haven't felt in a couple of years as a sports fan. Uh, so really excited. And if, and if you're listening to this after the fact, um, as in like a couple days after this is recorded, um, it's it's the day of the Stanley Cup. So it's it, it, it's in just in a couple hours. So I'm very, very excited. Um, so that's the tone setter for today. Nothing to do with basketball. Um, but we have uh, the NBA Finals going on. And I wanted to share just a couple thoughts of the dynamic between the Celtics and the Warriors. It's a fascinating series. I also just want to uh, share one or two thoughts about the Nuggets trading J. Michael Green and a protected 2027 first round pick to Oklahoma City for the 30th pick in this month's NBA draft and two second uh, or two future second round picks. All right. Story uh, broke just a couple days ago. I think it was Monday. Wednesday now, so about 48 hours ago. Uh, so the Thunder still have, they still have, gosh, I think it's three uh, first, uh, no, three picks in the draft. I think it's number two, number 12, and number 34. And Denver now has draft pick number 21 and draft pick number 30. Okay, so two first round picks for the Denver Nuggets this year. We have no idea uh, how this is going to work out. Uh, we we don't know if they're going to pick two players uh, with the 21st and the 30th pick. We don't know if they could package both of those picks and move up a little bit in the draft. I guess that's possible for sure. Um, I think the most likely scenario, it, it, given the Nuggets' current situation as a club, in, in a very uh, much win-now window, okay? you got the two-time MVP. You should be healthy out of the gate for the first time since last year's gate opened, uh, I believe that Calvin Booth will do some moving and shaking with one of these two picks. And 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 my guess would be more than likely it'll be the number 21 pick just because there's more value there for another team that could be in a rebuild. So I think that's something, obviously, to keep our eye on. Um, in terms of Calvin, we talked a little bit about this on the last episode is that um, we heard from Josh Kroenke in his press conference a couple weeks back that Calvin has shown an ability behind the scenes to make ruthless decisions uh, to build this roster um, in the uh, championship window that it's in. And, like, we just don't know what that could look like. Now, now we do know that our good buddy Matt Moore uh, at HP Basketball, he's one of our Nuggets insiders here on the fan in Denver, uh, has reported that both Monte Morris and Will Barton's name are being talked about in trades. I'd be surprised, I will say this, I would be surprised if both of those guys are back. Um, I, I, I would I would probably be more surprised if both guys came back than I would be if both guys are dealt. So, chew on that for a second. Um, 
it's just a different vision. It's a different set of eyes. And just because he's from the Tim Connolly tree doesn't necessarily mean he's going to yield, you know, similar branches or similar roots even. So we'll see what it looks like. Um, the other thought with that trade to Oklahoma City, uh, sending J. Mike there. First of all, you know, J. Mike, um, he was a fine nugget. You know, some days were better than others. Um, Nicola once said a season ago, I hope I play with him throughout my whole career. I hope he didn't mean that because it didn't last that long. Um, He was fine, but this is a guy that, um, you know, if you're talking about, you know, championship pieces and building out a roster, he's, he's on the edges of those conversations. So I don't think that's any sort of major loss. Now we'll see how you supplement it. Right. Um, Also, you know, could this be a move that is a, a signal to clear more minutes for, um, Zeke Naji, you know, just similarly to a couple years back when uh, Tim Connolly traded uh, Tory Craig to, you know, I think it was a fair thought to clear more minutes for Michael Porter Jr. I think this is a similar move, and I'm very curious to see what Zeke Naji could look like um, as he develops. I mean, there's a lot of core stuff there just physically um, from a profile standpoint that you really like about Zeke Naji, right? Uh, then if you mix in a potential... You know, three-point shooter. He's got that mechanical jump shot. We'll see what that looks like on a night-to-night basis. Um, the jury's still out on that one, though. But I'm optimistic uh, for sure about Zeke Naji. Um, yeah, and we're just going to continue to monitor that that situation, guys. We're going to continue to check in here uh, weekly uh, on the Mile High Hoops podcast, and I, you know, it business is going to be picking up here um, right around the corner. So. We got a microscope over Calvin Booth in his, you know, first year. This is his first deal overseeing uh, the Nuggets basketball operations since the transition of Tim Connolly uh, heading to um, Minnesota. And, you know, with this deal as well, let's not act like this isn't a factor. Denver did create some salary cap flexibility with the deal. And I think it saves them around $20 million uh, in salary and luxury tax with the trade. So... We expect the Nuggets to be a luxury tax-paying tax team uh, this season, for sure. Um, and that move gives them flexibility to use. I think it's like six, between six and seven million uh, ta- in, in uh, uh, a taxpayer mid-level exception. Or an $8 million trade exception uh, created with that, that, that deal this past week. So, again, we'll see what it looks like. We'll hang tight, be a little bit patient, and see how this thing uh, develops. But you can be sure... There's, uh, there's angles here behind the scenes with this latest move from Calvin Booth. Okay, uh, on the NBA Finals, just a, a couple thoughts here. One, oh, okay, I could probably do an hour uh, here on this, and, and I'm not going to because I want to skedaddle to downtown uh, and see what that scene looks like ahead of game one of the Stanley Cup Final. First time in 21 years for the Avs. But... With the NBA final, I, I, and, and, and I made it clear but back in March on, on my radio show, I may have even mentioned it here on the podcast, I have a 10-to-1 future wager on the Boston Celtics placed March 11th, 50 to win 500, all right? So I am rooting for the Celtics. But, but I'm not just, like, rooting because I'm a fan of the Celtics. I'm not. Um, I thought, and maybe do still think, that they had – had, have, not sure yet, but championship makeup, okay? I thought they had the traditional makeup of a team that can win it all. You have this all-pro scorer, 
this blue chip talent, all NBA player in Jason Tatum. You have to have that on every single championship team, uh, and that box was checked. Do they have a secondary, you know, scorer? And he's a big, long, athletic wing that can guard um, guard the perimeter. And, and Jalen Brown, well, that's a that's a check mark as well. Uh, separate from those two guys, you got the defensive player of the year who's fearless in Marcus Smart. Right, you got uh, 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 Rob Williams, Time Lord, uh, at you know flying around, and this is before you know he wasn't going to be hundred percent healthy, which he very obviously is not. Um, they have the, the the tenured experience of someone like Al Horford. I mean, uh, Derek White, what he's added uh, to that basketball team, you know, was was pretty cool to watch. I mean, you could kind of go through it and say, okay, you know, these guys look like they have the makeup, and then. Aside from like the talents and the physical makeup of the team and what it looked like, what it profiled like, they had shown me in these NBA playoffs that they had the mental makeup of a champion, like like the DNA of a champion. You know, when they swept Brooklyn in the first round and you know humanized those, you know, Durant and Kyrie to such a degree, um, that was a quick series. It was the Milwaukee series though when I started to get convinced that they had the goods. Because they blew such a game in Game 5 in Boston, if you remember, they blew a uh, 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. They had every reason to roll over and die as they headed to Milwaukee for Game 6 with their backs against the wall down 3-2. But when they dominated in Milwaukee, I shouldn't say dominated, but they won 108-95. And when I saw the resilience from that group and what Jason Tatum did uh, specifically going nuclear, probably the best basketball game he's ever played at the NBA level, and then they back it up by by dominating Game 7 against Milwaukee, the reigning champion, without Chris Middleton. I get it. And by the way, with Chris Middleton, I think the Milwaukee Bucks would beat both of these teams in the finals. So take that for whatever it's worth. But when they beat Milwaukee in such a way in Game 7, and then backed it up against the Miami Heat the following series, where they're unable, once again, to close them out at home, but they go on the road and win in Miami, I'm like, these guys, you know, they have that DNA. But I'm watching a team in Boston struggle with the final hurdle of becoming a champion. And I've talked a lot about this on my radio show, Stokely and Zach here on The Fan, is that that final hurdle, the one that the Avs are trying to get uh, over, that final hurdle arguably is the toughest one to get over. And you're seeing a team that has shown... Uh, poise and determination and resilience for sure in these playoffs have just full-blown freak-out periods. Like the start of Game 5 was hysterical. Like I think it was a second possession. Jason Tatum is throwing the ball into the crowd. Guys that are catching inbound passes and are out of bounds. I mean, just like like what is happening here? And for them to have 18 turnovers in Game 5... It's just like, man, I, 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 it's just so disappointing. It's just so you know from from a Celtic perspective. I mean, if you're rooting for the um, if you're rooting for the Warriors, you have to be elated. But the Warriors don't look like a one of these championship teams from the years past either. Like someone's going to win the championship, but they're b- both teams are are kind of flawed. And the Celtics, I mean, it, the recipe is so obvious. The Celtics' record in the playoffs. When they have 15 turnovers or fewer, is 14 and two. When they have 16 turnovers or more, 
they're now 0-7. They just cannot give away possessions, and they're not just possessions. A lot of these turnovers, you know, there's two types of turnovers, right? We talk about this in football. All interceptions are not created equal. If you're going down the field on third down and someone picks it off from the defense and you know, they, they, you know, it's a turnover on paper, but it's kind of like maybe a short punt, right? So that's not, that's not the same as first and 10 from your own 30. Well, a lot of the Celtics turnovers, they're not dead ball turnovers where you have a chance to reset your defense. They're live ball turnovers. And if there's one team in this generation of basketball that you do not want to have live ball turnovers against, it's the Golden State Warriors. They are surgical going downhill at you and have been for many years. So that's been really discouraging to know the profile of a finals win and what it looks like. And for the, the, the Celtics to not be able to do something, I want to say so simple because the, the, the Warriors are tr- tremendous defense. They are. That's part of the reason why they're here. They're not like the old like trying to score 130 a night Warriors. That's not who they are uh, anymore anyway. So, you, you know, you're seeing these games 107-97, 104-94, you know, 107-88. 100, you know, tonight, like, you're seeing games like that. So when they're lower scoring, especially, you can't do it just in general, but especially in these lower scoring games, you can't give the Warriors free possessions. And that's exactly what they did uh, with not everything on the line, but close to everything. As we know, historically, the winner of Game 5 in a 2-2 series goes on to win that series right around 80% of the time. So for the Celtics to have 18 turnovers to the Warriors' six, you just can't give a team like Golden State 12 extra possessions. Can't do it. You just simply can't do it. So um, that's one of the been one of the more you know interesting patterns to watch here in these um, NBA Finals. Now I will say this, and maybe this is just me being stubborn. I think Boston wins Game Six. I think they force Game Seven. I'm, I could be dead wrong about that. But I go back to what my my acumen is telling me. Again, you can laugh, and I get told I got told on Twitter you must be smoking that good Colorado weed if you think the Celtics are better than the Warriors. I think that the Warriors have the best player in the series. I have been of the mind that the Celtics are the better team. That just just like the same setup in the first round of the NBA playoffs, I believe Nikola Jokic was the best player in that series. But then. How many of the next best players in a row did the Warriors have? It's the same mindset just three series later. I think that the Celtics would probably have the next best three players in the series. Now, I will say that Klay Thompson has woke up a little bit. I mean, he was really struggling uh, you know, in these playoffs just in general. But you saw him make um, five threes in Game 3. He made four three, threes in Game 4. And he made five threes in... In, in Game 5. So you're talking about a guy that's made 14 three-pointers in the last three games. It did not look like that earlier in the series, and it certainly didn't look like that in the previous rounds of the playoffs. He was struggling mightily, uh, but he seems to be coming out of it. And that's bad news for the Celtics, and it's bad news for my future wager placed back on March 11th. All right, we will keep it there for now. A little abbreviated uh, version of the Mile High Hoops podcast. I appreciate you um, spending your time with me Uh, As short as it was here today, if you don't mind, rate, subscribe, uh, share with a friend, all that great stuff. It's always appreciated uh, from my friends or or, or from my end. And I uh, also appreciate my friends at Superbook.com for lending their support to this podcast.
All right, we'll leave it there for now. And you know that whatever happens in the rest of these NBA Finals and whatever happens next in terms of off-season transaction with the Denver Nuggets, we'll be talking about it right here on the Mile High Hoops podcast.